0: The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. If you would find your place in Hosea this morning. We're continuing on our study verse by verse through this minor prophet. We're going to be in chapter 9 today. This is a really ironic um, sermon title: The God Who Is Not There. And so, as you're turning there to Hosea 9, let me tell you a brief story about a movie. So, in 1994, a movie came out, and the reason I remember is because that was the that was the year where I met my wife, and this movie was in the theater. This is the movie we went to see. On our first date. And the the movie was called Forrest Gump. You probably remember that. It's pretty well known. Okay, so if you know anything about the story, you know that one of the, not really a subplot, but kind of one of the themes that ran through, and that was funny. You'll find out why in a minute. It ran through the movie was Forrest Gump running, right? When he had this braces on his legs, and then one day he started running and he broke loose from his shackles and he was gone, boy. And he said this iconic line in the movie from that day on, if I was going somewhere, I was running. Remember? Okay. So he loved to run. All right. Well, that same practice carried over when he got out of school and he went into the military. If you remember this scene, if you've seen the movie, They were out walking. That's how he described it, just walking all around, right? And they came upon one spot when the rain stopped and his platoon came under attack. And if you remember this particular part of the movie, the gun battle was fierce. The injuries were, were happening to his group. And he remembered something that Jenny told him she just told him, hey, if you get in trouble, run. So what did he do? He ran. And he ran and ran and ran. And if you remember what happened to him, he looked up. He was all by himself. You remember? If you've seen the movie, you remember he's running through the jungle and he's you know passing people, right? He's, just, he's got to get out of there, away from danger. Well, when he stopped and looked around, he was the only one there. He had run so far and so fast that now he was alone, which in that context was not a good thing. He's in a a foreign country with the threat of enemy all around. He had just fled from a fierce uh, battle, and now he had no one around to help him. And so he realized then, I've got to go back, right? Not only does he need to go back for his own safety, he needs to go back because other people need his help, right? Well, that theme, that scene is a microcosm of what we're going to see in this passage of Scripture today with God's people. God's people had gotten so focused on Doing what they were doing. They had run away so far and so fast from God that they didn't realize until they looked around, He wasn't there anymore. And it wasn't because He moved, it's because they moved. And that was a bad thing. Because what they needed to realize was. Not only do they have to go back because of their own safety, they needed to go back to God because other people need their help. This is the church today that can learn so much from that principle. We can't get so distracted or so off of our um, normal way of thinking that we we forget or maybe we don't notice that we've just gone about our own little thing and now maybe we've, we've walked away or run away from where God had us. And so we need to turn around and reassess and go back to where God is. Because if God is not there, let me assure you of this, He didn't leave you. We left Him. Right? God doesn't leave His people. But unfortunately, sometimes His people wander off the reservation. So let's read the scripture today. Uh, Hosea chapter 9, is 17 verses. We're going to read all of chapter 9 and then talk about a couple of things that we see here in this text that I believe will help us as we understand. And the, the words are going to be, the scripture will be on the screen if you'd like to follow along. Uh, that's the New American Standard translation from which I'm reading. Hosea chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Do not rejoice, O Israel, with exultation like the nations, for you have played the harlot, forsaking your God. You have loved harlots' earnings on every threshing floor. Threshing floor and winepress will not feed them, and the new wine will fail them. They will not remain in the Lord's land, but Ephraim will return to Egypt, and in Assyria they will eat unclean food. They will not pour out drink offerings of wine to the Lord. Their sacrifices will not please Him. Their bread will be like mourner's bread. All who eat of it will be defiled. For their bread will be for themselves alone. It will not enter the house of the Lord. What will you do on the day of the appointed festival and on the day of the feast of the Lord? For behold, they will go because of destruction. Egypt will gather them up. Memphis will bury them. Weeds will take over their treasures of silver. Thorns will be in their tents. The days of punishment have come. The days of retribution have come. Let Israel know this the prophet is a fool. The inspired man is demented because of the grossness of your iniquity and because your hostility is so great. Ephraim was a watchman with my God, a prophet, yet the snare of a bird catcher is in all his ways. And there is only hostility in the house of his God. They've gone deep in depravity as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your forefathers as the earliest fruit on the fig tree in its first season. But they came to Baal Peor and devoted themselves to shame. And they became... As detestable as that which they loved. As for Ephraim, their glory will fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, and no conception. Though they bring up their children, yet I will bereave them until not a man is left. Yes, woe to them indeed when I depart from them. Ephraim, as I have seen, is planted in a pleasant meadow like Tyre, but Ephraim will bring out his children for slaughter. Give them, O Lord, what will you give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. All their evil is at Gilgal. Indeed, I came to hate them there. Because of the wickedness of their deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebels. Ephraim is stricken. Their root is dried up. They will bear no fruit. Even though they bear children, I will slay the precious ones of their womb my god will cast them away because they have not listened to him and they will be wanderers among the nations father in jesus name i pray you'll speak to our hearts clearly today and that we would hear and listen and obey for the glory of jesus amen this is a, a really sad chapter in this prophecy. Anytime we can read uh, an account where a prophet sent by God to God's people gives God's words for his people and he's treated in this way, he's ignored, he's thought to be foolish and, and silly and, and not uh, speaking for God even though he is, he's basically just uh, overlooked. That always brings bad things. Judgment, punishment, consequences for their actions. So the first thing we see in this chapter from verse 1 down to verse 6 is the punishment for Israel. You see, they were too busy enjoying their festivals to even notice God's departure. And that's uh, one of the things that we kind of uh, equated with Uh, The the scene from that movie, Forrest Gump, he's so busy, so intent on running and getting away from the danger that he ran too fast, too far. He was not aware of his surroundings. You know, that's something we tell our kids every time they leave the house. uh, And even sometimes when they're at home. Hey, be aware of your surroundings. When any of my kids leave the house and they're getting in, in a car and they're driving somewhere, I always say the same thing every single time. Be safe and aware. Be safe and aware. I don't don't want you to get so distracted with what's going on around you that you're not paying attention. I don't want anybody sneaking up on you. I don't want anybody catching you off guard. I want you to be aware. I want you to be safe. And I pray that for them. Well, God's people here got distracted by their own stuff. And they didn't notice that. God's departure. And as I said, it wasn't really God's departure. It was their departure from Him. And so, as they are so busy enjoying their festivals, they didn't understand the consequences of God's departure. And by the way, this is a principle that every church needs to embrace and understand and, and let it get into our hearts. Busyness does not equal Holiness. We could be busy doing things, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're following God. You understand what I'm saying? God gives direction to His people. It's up to us to come to Him with a blank piece of paper, not come to Him with our plans and say, hey, God, we got some good ideas. I wish you'd bless these for us. No, that's not how it works. It's God, here we are. Do with us as you please. Lead us, please. Show us what we need to do. Show us where we need to go. Show us how to do it. Help us glorify you and be obedient and be good witnesses for the gospel. Whatever it is you tell us to do, Lord, help us do it. That, that's the perspective. Not uh, bringing our own stuff. So these folks were too busy with their own stuff. They were busy, but they weren't practicing Holiness. In fact, they had prostituted themselves. They were unfa- unfaithfully worshipping idols. And then they attributed their material prosperity to these idols they're worshipping, which is just nonsense. And so what's going to happen is they're going to fall prey to their enemies. They're going to be carried off to Assyria as slaves. They're going to be in bondage once again. You know, we talked about the exodus and how God delivered the people out of Egypt. Well, they're going right back. Because they didn't continue to follow God. So they're going to suffer the same fate as their forefathers had because refusing to worship God in the proper spirit, now they're going to be denied the privilege of worship. And I pray that we will never, ever fall into that error. That we ever get to a point where we wouldn't see worship as a great privilege. This is not a... Uh, this isn't a, just a right that we have to gather here in this particular country. It is a privilege to come and worship the Lord. Something that we should really appreciate. And, and they, they didn't appreciate it. In fact, they, they refused to worship Him properly, so now they're not going to get to worship Him at all. And So after being exiled, their homes are going to be desolate. The Bible says in verses 5 and 6, they're going to be overgrown with weeds. Now, it's at this point that I want to just revisit a, uh, well, maybe not revisit, it might be visiting for the first time. Uh, In the early 1700s, leading up to the Second Great Awakening, there was a preacher up in the Northeast named Jonathan Edwards, and he wrote what is one of the most well-known sermons called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I want to read just a brief excerpt from what he wrote as it pertains to God's people here and the danger that we face. He writes, The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, he abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in His sight. You are 10,000 times more abominable in His eyes than the most hateful, venomous serpent is in ours. You have offended Him infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did His prince. And yet it is nothing but His hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. It is to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to hell the last night. That you were suffered to awake again in this world after you closed your eyes to sleep. And there is no other reason to be given why you have not dropped into hell since you arose in the morning, but that God's hand has held you up. that is some seriously descriptive language but if you can get an image in your mind that those who disobey and rebel against God now, now understand this is not talking about believers in Christ this is talking about those who would not believe in Christ who are constantly in opposition to the gospel Okay. But he's trying to paint this picture to to help folks who are without Christ understand the constant danger therein. To to paint this picture of God's hand is literally the only thing between a sinner and hell. It's the only thing. His grace and mercy upon all creation common grace is what we might call it. The, the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, right? E- even those in this, in this world who are not following Jesus and don't care anything about the, the Word or who wrote it, they're still benefiting from the beautiful sunshine. They're still benefiting from the rainfall that causes crops to grow. They're still receiving this common grace. Not noticing that It is only the hand of God that keeps them from eternal damnation. What this really ought to do is help frame our perspective on the importance of evangelism. Do do we understand how important it is to have a conversation with somebody about Jesus? Just think, don't raise your hand, don't say it out loud, but just think for just a moment. Do you know anybody that doesn't follow Jesus? Do you know anybody who's not a Christian? I would venture to say every single one of us knows somebody who's not a Christian. Now, consider this question. Have you told them about Jesus? if we profess to know and follow Jesus, we know Him, we follow Him, He loves us, we love Him, we have His Word, we're not ignorant of what He calls us to do. If, if all that's true, why do we not speak? Why do we not share Jesus with others. Why do, what possible reason? Is it because we're, we're, we're nervous? Is it because we... I, I don't think it's because we don't care about people. Because I believe we do. But how much do we really care? Do we care enough to tell somebody the way to not... Be separated from Jesus for all eternity. And, and Jonathan Edwards writes so. I mean, I guess that was a maybe more um, characteristic of writers in that time period. So, uh, so powerful in his language and the the descriptions they they use. But that's what awaits those who continue to rebel and dis- disobey God's word, and to push back against the gospel. So then after that, in verse 7, we see the second part of this text, the proof of God's judgment. He talks about the punishment that's coming for Israel, but then the proof of His judgment, the people's initial reaction to the message from Hosea was to laugh at him. They thought he was just crazy. When you look at verse 7... The days of punishment. The days of retribution. But then look what they say right in the middle of verse 7. The prophet's a fool. That's what they thought. Of, here's a guy with a word from God. And he's bringing it to the people who need to hear. And they, the prophet's a fool. The inspired man is demented. They, they think he's, they think he's, he's a, a foolish man. They laugh at him. Because because they were enjoying prosperity. Despite their unfaithfulness, they were were enjoying material wealth. So, what did they think? We must be fine. We wouldn't have all this stuff if if God was mad at us. Really? Is that how that works? So everybody who's, who's got the world's goods is automatically good in God's sight. Is that how that works, really? I hadn't read that in the Bible, but, you know. I'm just one person. So, it seems like, we look around, seems like evil people do all right. Y'all ever experienced that? Look around, and it's like, man, that person's living like the devil. How come they got everything so easy? Let me, uh, I this isn't in my notes, but let me, let me just read something from Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount. This is in Luke chapter 6. Jesus is teaching, this is the cross-reference passage to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And Luke records it a little bit differently, but basically the same. And he says, Luke six twenty one, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and they exclude you and insult you and, and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day. Leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For their fathers, in the same way, used to treat the prophets. But listen to this. Luke six twenty four. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. And woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. It seems Jesus has a different perspective on the correlation between doing fine here but being spiritually bankrupt now there are times when God chooses to bless his children with things on this earth and that's a beautiful thing because you know you know what you can learn from those types of situations typically and I'm sure there may be an exception here and there but typically when God blesses one of his Followers with the world's wealth It's because he knows he can trust them with the world's wealth. And he knows that they'll be good stewards of it. And so he chooses to use them in that way. And that's a beautiful thing. But when you look around you and you see folks who don't care anything about God or his word or his church or his mission in this world and yet they seem to be doing fine... Just remember, they better enjoy it here because if they don't have Jesus, that's all they're ever going to get. And their eternity will not be anything like their earthly experience. God's judgment is real. But as we said last week and the week before, it's never random and arbitrary. It is always in relationship to sinfulness and rebellion. And so after the persistence of Hosea to preach God's Word, the people become hostile toward him. They call him the fool. They see him as demented. They don't understand that the prophet was actually trying to look out for them. The Bible calls him a watchman. He's, like he's trying to sound the alarm. He's trying to let them know things are going to be bad if they don't turn away from their sin. But he was met with nothing but hostility. So the sin of the people in verse 9, prevented them from heeding Hosea's warnings. They had stated, uh, they had stated their intention to ignore him because they, of what they called him and how they treated him. Verse 10 says they started off pretty good, but then they fell into sin and idolatry. And verse 12 says, Woe to them indeed when I depart from them. And again, that's a, a figurative way of saying, they departed from me, God said. And so because they've departed from me, Now I'm going to withhold the blessings from them. James Boyce says that when God removes himself, as Hosea says he's about to do, the word of God is also removed and then there is no hope. When we're without God's word and his direction, we are truly hopeless. That's the one thing we have that will keep us uh, following God's direction is His Word to us. So in verse 14, something happens that's peculiar. That one verse, chapter 9, verse 14, Hosea, is, he begins to pray for the people, and then it's almost as if he's interrupted in his own prayer because he doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know how to pray for the people. He knows he needs to because they're clearly doing wrong. But he doesn't know what to say. This reminds me, there's a passage in Romans chapter 8 in verses 26 and 27 where Paul wrote to the church, in the same way the Spirit helps our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So as Hosea tries to pray for the people, because he knows that's what he needs to do, verse 14, it says, Give them, O Lord. And then he just he interrupts himself. Uh, what are you going to give them? W- what do they need? What are, what's supposed to happen? And then the most odd thing, the rest of verse 14. Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breast. In other words... Don't let them have any more children. Isn't that odd? Until you realize the situation. It's almost as if Hosea is saying, Lord, if they're unwilling to turn and turn back to You, at least just let it be confined to this generation. Don't let them pass this on to future generations, this, this rebellious spirit, this complete disregard for You and Your Word. Don't let that go any further. Almost have mercy on them, Lord. Don't let them uh, procreate anymore so they won't pass this sinfulness to the next generation. Can you imagine being compelled to pray for people not to ever have any more children just so they won't pass all this bad stuff on? That's how bad it had gotten. And Hosea is trying, he's trying to pray the best he can. And follow God's will. And that's the best that, that he gets from, from the Spirit speaking to him. He wants to pray. He doesn't know how. So he says, I'll just conclude. I, don't let them have any more children. So then God, in the last three verses, verses 15 to 17, God's final answer to the people, if the people won't repent, then there's nothing remaining for them but God's judgment. He, he's given them warning after warning after warning, continue, almost almost endless chances. He keeps sending the Word, He keeps giving them the warnings, and they won't heed the Word. So God's judgment is coming. The judgment is announced by Hosea, and it comes exactly as God said it would. Look at verse 15. God came to hate, to, to hate Israel because of their evil. And then it says in, verse, in the second part, in the middle part of 15, He's going to drive them out of His house because of their wickedness. And then He says He's going to love them no more because of their rebellious leadership. And then in verse 16, He says that barrenness and infant mortality is going to be the judgment on Israel for their sin. He says they'll bear no fruit, but this is even though they bear children, I'll slay the precious ones of their womb. That is a terrible thing. That's a terrible judgment. But remember, it's not arbitrary. God just didn't decide one day, you know what I think would be interesting? I'll just wipe out all their children. That's not the thought If there is such a thing, it's the thought process of God. That's not how it works. It's almost like a merciful judgment based on the prayer from verse 14 barrenness, infant mortality. Israel was being cast away from God because they would not listen to His Word. Verse 17 tells us that they continued to not listen. They're going to just be wandering, wandering around. That's, that's what the, the last verse says. They're, they're going to be wanderers among the nations. Now, as terrible as that sounds... We sit here today in 2021 having the benefit of, of looking back and hopefully learning from their mistakes. Right? So, so we can read about this and read how God sent Hosea to them to warn them and then how they responded, which was wrong because they didn't listen and what happened to them because of that and so, it's almost like we still have a chance, right? We still have an opportunity. If this is us, if we're still rebelling against God and His Word, if we're still not willing to listen, we still have the opportunity to turn and repent and, and come back to the Lord, right? We're, we're here, we're breathing, we still have a chance. We still have a, an opportunity to turn back to God. And so... I'm going to close the message today with the closing paragraph from the sermon I mentioned earlier, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Jonathan Edwards writes this last bit to his message that he preached uh, in the mid-1700s. And now you have an extraordinary opportunity A day wherein Christ has thrown the door of mercy wide open and stands in calling and crying with a loud voice to poor sinners. A day wherein many are flocking to Him and pressing into the kingdom of God. Many are daily coming from the east, west, north, and south. Many that were very lately in the same place miserable condition that you're in and now are in a happy state with their hearts filled with love to Him who has loved them and washed them from their sins in His own blood and rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. How awful is it to be left behind at such a day? The good news is... You don't have to be left behind. You don't have to miss out on the wonderful grace and mercy of God. Because He really has flung wide open the door of mercy. And He's standing there, as Jonathan Edwards writes, calling and crying with a loud voice to poor sinners so it's not a lack of opportunity it might just be a lack of response see God continually calls he continually pursues he wants you To respond, He wants you to follow. He wants you to obey. He wants you to say yes. And He won't ever stop calling. The question is if you haven't answered yet, what are you waiting for? What is stopping you from answering Jesus? Because every moment we don't answer, we're we're really saying no. To say nothing is to say no. So don't let that be you. Say yes to Jesus. He, he's call he's waiting, he's calling just wants you to say yes let's pray thank you for listening to this message from god's word for more information on berlin baptist church we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org